Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 162, and today we're talking about Berlin with Paul Sullivan. At the moment, we're in Copenhagen. We arrived last night after a uh, rather of a mission of a train trip. It was quite fun, actually. We were in Hamburg, which wasn't one of our plans at all. We'd been in Utrecht, and we were planning to go straight to Copenhagen, but that was going to be an 11-hour train trip, and we decided mm, maybe not, so we spent a night in Hamburg. Then we went to get on a train at 1.30, and we found it was delayed by 10 minutes. Well, okay, that's fine. So we went and sat on the other platform that we had to wait for the train. Then it was 20 minutes, then 40, then 60, and finally 80 minutes. So we finally got on the train. We were given free vouchers for a free coffee or tea and some chocolate. And then by the time we actually arrived in Copenhagen, it was, was it two hours and 20 minutes late? This was because the train had to go onto a ferry, which is so cool. You know, the train actually drives straight onto the ferry and then you get off and you can go upstairs and look at the views. You have to get back on the train before it leaves, otherwise you're in trouble. And uh, yeah, so we finally arrived. Thank goodness. Yeah, it was good. But um, we're couch surfing here and our couch surfing hosted offered to uh, make his dinner on the first night. So um, luckily it all worked out, but we were a bit worried about uh, showing up a few hours late. This episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is brought to you by WorldNomads.com. WorldNomads.com provides great value global travel insurance. You can buy, extend, and claim online, even if you're already traveling. All policyholders also get free travel blogs, safety advice, and language guides for your iPod. WorldNomads.com. Keep traveling safely. And we were actually using those uh, language guides, free ones, for the last few days in, uh, in Germany. It was yeah, it's good really to get useful. a bit of a reminder. Although we failed to get the Danish one. So yeah. we haven't um, actually practiced our Danish. I'm going to go and have a look and see if uh, see if there actually is one after this show. Oh yeah, that's quite important. Well, while we were in Berlin, we had a coffee with Paul Sullivan. Paul's a writer and a photographer from the UK who's been based in Berlin for the last few years. He also runs a Matador Photography School with Lola Akamade, who we're hoping to catch up with soon in Sweden. I really hope she's there. I think she's travelling at the moment. Yeah, I think I saw something about her heading off to Malta, um, which is somewhere we've spent a lot of time, but I hope she comes back home in time for us to uh, to catch up. Yeah. You can find more information about the Matador Photography School at indietravelpodcast.com forward slash matadoru. Well, it was fun uh, speaking with Paul. Here's the interview, and hope you enjoy it. Hey, well, I'm talking with Paul Sullivan. Uh, Paul runs slowtravelberlin.com, is the author of multiple guidebooks, and uh, is also a leading light in Matador's photography course. Paul, welcome to Indie Travel Podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's all good. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about where we are? Uh, right now, we're in a place called The Barn, which is quite a new cafe in Mitte. And uh, it's got a big emphasis on slow food, and um, it's kind of rustic chic. I described it in a recent review because it's very uh, it's very connected to slow food and local produce and that kind of thing. But it's also very very hiply designed, and it's full of young people. And um, the coffee's fantastic. Yeah, it uh, definitely is. So, um, well, can you give us, first of all, a bit of an idea about Berlin as a whole? If someone's flying into Berlin um, and they're here maybe for a short period of time, what's, what's, the, what's the feel, what's the vibe they're going to pick up and what are they going to see and do? I suppose the, it really depends where you're going to be based <clears throat> because if you're in Mitte, you're probably going to have a very different experience than if you're in Prenzlauberg or Neukölln or one of those areas. So... Um, there's definitely a lot of interesting major sites that you may well find yourself drawn towards. Uh, 
everything from the Reichstag to the Holocaust Museum um, to the museum in Zul. Um But there's also a lot of places where you can go and get off the beaten track. And Prenzlauerberg, for example, doesn't really have much in the way of major sites, but it does have a lot of off the beaten track things to see, uh, which are no less significant or important, really. Um, there's a synagogue up there on Rikostrasse, for example. You have the Wasserturm, which is quite a formidable building. Um, people go and sunbathe up there in the summer, and uh, I think there's art projects down in the basement. Um, so, yeah, I think Berlin has just got many... There's many Berlins, and it kind of depends on your attitude and where you're based as to which kind of Berlin you uncover. Mm. One of the things I've really noticed is the sheer number of galleries, especially small independent galleries, maybe just a room for, for a week that, that crop up all over the place. Um, if someone's looking for, for that kind of thing, a, a short, artistic, kind of vibrant Berlin, what, what kind of areas should they explore? Uh, well, Mitter's is probably the most established centre for art in Berlin. Um, we're pretty much on Augustwasser here, which is called the Berlin Art Mile. Uh, so places like the Kunstwerk and Gallery Gherkin are all around here. So you can find everything from sculpture to photography to whatever, but that's kind of established. I think you'll probably find more temporary up-and-coming galleries in still in Mitter, actually, but probably more in places like Neukölln, which is a, a bit rougher, more up-and-coming area, not so much in the way of trendy boutiques and that kind of thing, but um, a lot of artists have gravitated there because of the cheap rents, and they've been priced out these days of places like Mitter and Prenzlauerberg, so they're becoming a bit more um, a bit more of centres for art. Fruit Design also still has quite a lot of uh, temporary galleries and that kind of thing. And you're um, heavily into into music and, and that kind of thing, and there's certainly an unbelievable amount of vinyl still hanging around in Berlin. Um, if you know someone's wanting to have a look around and, and find some of this old music, what kind of regions should they should they be looking around? And do you have any recommendations? Uh, well. <clears throat> Vinyl shopping is... I think you can go everywhere in the city, basically. You've got places like... I mean, techno's huge here. Berlin's like a massive techno city. So there's definitely a lot of electronic music. You have places like Hardwax down in Kreuzberg. You've got places like Melting Point on Castanian Ali, which sells disco and old boogie and funk and house. Um, Oye in Prenzlauerberg. Um, there's, just, there's a lot of shops still still selling that. And then you've got the parks, places like Mauer Park, the, where the big flea market is every Sunday, has got pretty good vinyl. I, I don't think you can get the classics or the, the bargains that you could have got maybe 10 years ago there. People are a bit more clued up these days, but you can still find good rarities and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And how about the live music scene? Take us away from what you might find on the, um, what did we see last night? The New Berlin pub crawl seemed to um, <laughs> be ridiculously popular with okay. 16 to 18-year-olds. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but give us an idea of how to get, how to get away, how to get into some of, some of Berlin's kind of newer or, or more interesting places. Well, I think clubs like probably the more established club for kind of good live music is White Trash which uh, is a good alternative to the techno um, the sometimes overwhelming abundance of techno spaces here um, they have live gigs on pretty much every night or DJ shows and you can also get pretty good burgers and stuff there 
it's quite kitsch, quite Berlin. And then you've got places up in Prenzlauer like Intersoup, which also have uh, live flybacks every night. Uh, places like Bang Bang Berlin, down in Mitte, uh, also have a lot of live shows. There's a lot of touring bands come here, but actually I found the live scene in Berlin, the live music scene, not quite as fully developed as it is in cities like London or New York. I think there's a lot of live music here, but I'm not sure there's so much of a stimulus for local bands, or if there is, it's quite um, quite scattered. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm not the best person to talk about the live music scene, but that's how I personally find it. Mm, sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your story and about what you're doing here and um, and the projects you're part of, like SlowTravelBerlin.com. Well, I came here in 2007 to write the Headness Guide to Berlin. Um, spent about six weeks here, fell in love with it. I'd been to Berlin before, but after spending those weeks here, I really fell in love with it. It was a perfect summer, blue skies. I was based in Mitte and really saw a lot of a lot of the city. I was kind of out every day, all day, exploring. I was just perpetually impressed and still am. So I moved here about 18 months ago, and uh, the city just gets better and better. Um, so aside from Hedner's Guide to Berlin, which I updated... I am. I also started Slow Travel Berlin, which is kind of. It's not. It's connected to the slow food, slow travel movement, but it's a way really to overcome the limitations and sometimes frustrations of writing guidebooks, because I don't have any limitations on uh, word length, for example, or I don't have any deadlines. And it just lets me. If I see something interesting, or exciting, right just around the corner here, actually today. I was just reading something on a website and I found a, there's a, a memorial to, um, to a Jewish family, I think, that was installed by a gallery. It's just in a park. And uh, I hadn't actually known, even though I've been past that little park a lot of times, I hadn't actually known that was in there. So I was just reading about it and popped in there. It's kind of a funky little memorial. There wouldn't be many places I could write about that in a guidebook necessarily, but on Slow Travel Berlin I can kind of hone in on little parts of the city like that that often get overlooked. So that's that's the kind of vibe with, with slow travel. Yeah, cool. And um, so people coming there will be able to find stuff that's that's a bit kooky and, and a bit strange, or yeah, I suppose the overarching ideal or philosophy with slow travel is, is for, to get people to, as the name suggests, take their time a little bit, and if they can, just spend more time in the city um, instead of raging through and ticking off uh, ticking off the itinerary or the main sites. So it's it's really to get people to explore maybe hidden corners. We don't do that much that's kooky necessarily, although we do like that. But we cover everything from arts and culture, food. Um, so we'll review museums, establishments, old buildings, uh, architecture, um, parks, stuff for families to do because that tends to be underrepresented in guidebooks sometimes. Um, cafes that are cool to hang out in, like the place we're in right now, the barn. So yeah, anything that kind of encourages people to get a little deeper. We try and take a historical perspective. There's a lot of history in Berlin. So CO Berlin, for example, the gallery uh, just down the road from here, it's going to close unfortunately soon or it's going to move but that's the old former post office beautiful building and they have a club upstairs and that kind of thing so we try and get into a lot of places here have a lot of history so it's really good to be able to get have the space and the time to get into the history of the place and provide a bit of a deeper perspective on the city yeah I've been in a bit of sensory overwhelm with all of these um just the, the layers of modern history, um, even in the last hundred years, is so much compacted into yeah. a street corner or, yeah. a, or the facade of a building. And 
it's just yeah complete overwhelm yeah it is I think that's one of the most exciting things about Berlin in a way is that the history when you go to places like London you've got a lot a lot kind of a lot of longer longer term history um, Roman ruins and all that kind of thing but Berlin doesn't have that quite so much but what it does have is recent, recent turbulent massive history and all of it's still really tangible you still see the bullet holes in the walls you still see you go down Wilhelmstrasse and you can see the old uh, the old um, SS Luftwaffe building which is still standing um, there's bunkers here you can go and explore and it's obviously it's one of the kind of most poignant and darkest moments of 20th the 20th century and all that stuff is kind of within touching distance so I think it gives Berlin a tremendous energy you know even if it's not necessarily massively positive still you get real a real uh, engagement with with recent modern history so we've been talking a bit about slow travel is this like a worldwide movement like the slow food movement or is it just something kind of localized and and something you're into it's a good question um I'm not exactly sure how much of a movement it is. It's definitely not as organised and as widespread, I don't think, as slow food, which has obviously taken off and, and become a very international proposition with events and logos and all that thing. I think slow travel's a bit more fragmented, but I also think it's quite popular and it's, it's just a kickback to the guidebook culture where you fly into a place and weekend travel, where you just fly into a place, tick off a few things and fly back out again. So I, I feel that there's a movement towards more local, locally motivated or locally inspired travel. Um, the green movement has really helped people think about the way they travel in the sense that maybe it's better and more eco-friendly to catch a train or a bus than as a flight, which makes people take their time a little more. Time is obviously a luxury that a lot of people can't afford, so this is definitely all quite idealistic. But um, I just really personally liked the idea of that, and I've traveled a lot, and my best travel experience has always been when I stayed in a place for a certain amount of time. And I've engaged more with the local pace, for example, the local character and the local pace. And I felt that that's what I wanted to encourage people to do in Berlin. It was my first opportunity to really do a travel project in a place where I was actually based. So that's kind of my own personal rationale. Hopefully, hopefully it's an internationally growing thing. I feel that it is. Mm. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I certainly hope Linda and I are going to be able to slow down sometime soon. Um, but yeah, life is short and there's a lot of places to... Uh, a lot of exciting things to, to do and see. Um, can you tell me a little bit about being in Berlin from your perspective as a, a freelance writer and photographer, as a creative person? What is, it's a good place to set up for a few years? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think probably the best place in Europe, really. I've been to a lot of that. To me, a lot of European capitals, as much as I love Rome and Madrid and Amsterdam, uh, I feel Berlin just has a slightly different quality and because of its history it's developed differently obviously the wall only came down in 1989 um, and I feel there's still a big it's got a bit of catching up to do really with the rest of Europe in that respect and I think that's a good thing because I think that drag factor has created a lot of holes and opportunities and the rents haven't escalated it hasn't become so homogenised so quickly perhaps it's on the way there it's definitely areas are but 
for example, you don't find so many chain cafes. There's a lot of places in Berlin where you can find independent places to drink and, and, uh, and go and have coffee or lunch. And I think that just has a knock-on effect when people can go and find places which are more independent and alternative. I think they feel a bit more comfortable. They don't feel so alienated necessarily from the high street. Um, I think generally rents are still, you can still find fairly low rents, although the prices are going up here. You can find places in Neukölln and outside there in Wedding, which are a really good deal. They're big places. Uh, and of course, it's just been a magnet for creative types over the last five or ten years. Uh, maybe longer so you find a massive community here so if you're a filmmaker a writer a photographer it's just so easy to go out and meet other like-minded people the thing that Berlin doesn't have is money so it's great to come here and create projects but you're probably not going to get rich so you might want to come here and make your movie and then maybe move to New York or London to, to get your sponsorship and investment it makes a lot of sense. Hey, well, Paul, thanks so much for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast today, and we'll have links to all of your work on IndieTravelPodcast.com, and I hope you're going to um, give us a few photos that we can showcase there. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. It's fun. Well, I want to say uh, thanks again to Paul for coming on the show. It was uh, great to catch up and, uh, well, great to meet him for the first time. That's right, yeah. You can find Paul at paul-sullivan.com and Slow Travel Berlin is at slowtravelberlin.com. That's surprisingly. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> if you'd like to improve your travel photography, you can also check out indietravelpodcast.com forward slash matador you. That's the letter U on the end, not the third person pronoun, or the female sheep. The female sheep. It isn't. Trust you to bring that up, freaking Kiwi. <laughs> Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsor again and tell you about a great initiative they've set up. At worldnomads.com, you can also support a Footprints community development project when you purchase your travel insurance online. Worldnomads.com. Keep traveling safely. I forgot to tell you, we actually got an email about the uh, the Footprints program that we contributed to, uh, saying they raised all the funding and that's, um, that money's gone out now. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the project's fully funded. Oh, that's great. It's always nice to hear. Yeah. Well, if you come to IndieTravelPodcast.com, you'll find the insurance link at the top of the page. That's where we have some of our experiences with travel insurance, and we show you why we chose World Nomads for our own travel insurance. Indeed. Well, thanks for uh, listening to the Indie Travel Podcast. Until next week, travel well.